accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government. Helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. Oh, do you hear that sound? Yes, that is the sound of vindication. The Libertine-in-Chief here with you. Uh, before I get into what exactly that sound of vindication is, I do want to mention, speaking of sound, last week we just started the new template on Sovereign Tech. We just started the new format, and uh, there was a bit of a glitch at the for the intro to the climax, and you couldn't uh, hear the climax that was occurring <laughs> during the intro. Uh, but that is repaired. I apologize greatly for that. Uh, and I thank you for your patience with, uh, with the new format here. And thank you for your feedback on it. But let's talk about that vindication real quick. Holy shit. The Willie report. This is a doozy. Now, I'm not going to talk about it for long right here. Because I'm, I, we're going to be talking about it more on, on Sex and Science Hour, which, don't worry, will be out there. Uh, episode 16, right? And the Willie report is essentially this report that claimed that the the present price of Bitcoin or the couple present, the couple past rises that occurred uh, in April of 2013. Right. When it went up to like 260 or whatever. And then uh, November, December, whenever it hit twelve hundred, that both of those were manipulations on Mt. Gox's part. And. There's, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. But then there's plenty of people, a lot of the analysts, a lot of really, I guess what one would say, the names that matter say, no, this is absolutely true that this this occurred, that this happened. Now, why is that vindicating? Because I had been saying and I had gotten in conversations with Jeffrey Tucker uh, and quite a few other names. I said, look. Nothing rises in price like this. Not that new. It can't do that. Markets don't work that way. I said uh, a couple times in the or at least once at the Texas Bitcoin conference when I gave my talk is Bitcoin more real than gold. I said, I have no idea what's deciding the price of Bitcoin. You know, because the market doesn't work this way. I don't know how it's doing that. And then come to find out, guess what? It was manipulated. That's why it didn't make any sense. And the manipulation was, hey, look, there wasn't even enough. There wasn't enough fiat flow into Bitcoin that could even have allowed for this amount of price. And I'm thinking, yes, exactly. That was my point. That's what I've been saying this whole time is nothing should rise like that. It can't. But then what did I hear from so many people? Oh, Bitcoin breaks all the rules. Oh, it's a new world. It's a new day. And, uh, you know, but then at the same time, those same people would say to me, it's like, well, there's. You know, there's economic laws, there's ways things work. And I'm thinking, well, which is it? Does it follow economic laws or doesn't it? Well, come to find out, 
Bitcoin still follows those economic laws, and that can be a kind of a comforting thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Uh, but the Willie Report, I'd ask you to go read it, but uh, unfortunately, the site that had it hosted took it down. I'm sure it's available in other places. I have a PDF copy of it myself, actually. Uh, and uh, that's interesting in and of itself. You know, this is something I thought when Gox fell, I talked about how I I had stated, I don't remember if it was on Sovereign Tech or if it was on Sex and Science Hour, that I stated, I said, you know, there's some big names in Bitcoin that have been involved in Bitcoin for a really, really long time uh, that are really pulling, I think, a lot of strings. Now, maybe Bitcoin's to the point where their string pulling doesn't matter anymore. And that's probably true. And that's probably why the price is still sort of where it's at. Because, um, we're what, we're up 30% now this month? But, uh, boy, <laughs> for for people to complain, you know, it's, it's ironic because people talk about how, oh, Ethereum's deciding... You know, only the the people in charge are deciding who gets the money or like next where they say, oh, with next, it's all a scam. People, you know, are deciding who gets the money or, you know, with all these various things, people complaining about pre-mining. You know what? Bitcoin, in my opinion, is really no better because there's people who are in early on had, you know, high stake risk take players in it that had a lot of money on the line. And they, you know, they did this what the Willie report is talking about. And maybe they're responsible for a lot of what happened with the funds and Gox. I don't know. You want to have me, you want me to call conspiracy? Believe me, I didn't even talk about that woman that fell from a high rise over in East Asia. And you know what I'm talking about? I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even go there, but maybe somebody knew something about what was going on. Anyway, uh, (laughs) let's, uh, Let's let's get away from from such such topics. Uh, something a little a little more lighthearted and uh, rapid fire stories. Of course, we have harp. Harp is shutting down. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what harp is, harp is the high frequency active oral research program. And this was a, a you know, kind of a. Well, it, OK, it was billed as a research program for like studying the atmosphere or the ionosphere, you know, more more directly uh, as, a, you know, a series of uh, would look like a series of, you know, essentially satellites up uh, up in Alaska. And this was done around 1993. So it's uh, you know, it's been running for about 20 years and now they're apparently shutting it down. Now, they haven't shut it down completely yet. But apparently they are going to shut it down. Uh, about 250 million has been soaked into it in its construction. Uh, I mean, this has just been uh, really, I, I think, an absolute waste of money. I don't know exactly what research has come out of it per se, but conspiracy theorists love this. Alex Jones, Jesse Ventura, they love Harp. They think Harp is doing so many things from uh, weather control to mind control. Uh, there, there's some things I think some of the conspiracy theories around harp that I think may have been true, like the ability to search for oil in caves by bouncing off, uh, you know, like UA VHF signals off of the, you know, off the ionosphere, off the atmosphere, essentially. And I, I there may be some truth to that. And that that leads into a whole slew of things. But anyway, harp is apparently getting shut down. Uh, really, I didn't see that coming. I was for far more hoping that Guantanamo Bay would get shut down because we were actually told that one would. Oh, seven years ago. Uh, but <laughs> I guess that's not happening either. They're just adding on buildings, right? Was it Camp uh, Camp 60 or whatever it's called? 
Anyway, uh, DARPA, <laughs> more government projects. DARPA uh, is making, they're devising a hack-proof, invulnerable drone. It's called the HACMS. That's ironic because for the, you know, now the, the, the acronyms are getting to the point to where they don't actually spell something out unless that's hexam, hexams. And <laughs> I don't know. But uh, all I can say is this, this to DARPA. If you think you have a hack proof, invulnerable drone, challenge accepted. Let's see how long that lasts. I mean, really, the instant you try saying something, oh, this is invulnerable, you're just asking for it to get, you know, for it to get hacked. And I say hacked because it's a heroic act to do anything against these ridiculous government programs. And why are they making these things hack proof? So the enemy can't take them over. That way they can kill more people without worrying about repercussions. Anyway, uh, Jared Cohen at Google Ideas, moving on, uh, may have, uh, this is a report coming out of uh, WikiLeaks, and this is relative to, uh, last week we mentioned how WikiLeaks revealed, because Glenn Greenwald would not, that one of the countries where the NSA was doing pretty much blanket spying uh, on metadata was Afghanistan. Now come to find out, Jared, Jared Cohen at Google Ideas, which we talked about the creepiness of Google Ideas last week, right? may have been very much involved in getting all of that metadata collection to work in Afghanistan. So we kind of talked about the creepiness of Google Ideas. Well, this may be the implementation of the creepiness of what's going on there. And, uh, and you know, not no one's really coming out with statements against it. But then maybe that's because everybody just wants to write off whatever WikiLeaks says out of hand anyway. And of course, Glenn Greenwald will be releasing. Apparently, he's going to be naming names of people that the NSA has been spying on. That is going to be very interesting to hear. Uh, Apple confirmed the Beats purchase for three was a three point two billion dollars. And now Dr. Dre is the the first uh, hip hop artist to be a billion to to be a, a billionaire or a multi-billionaire, whatever, uh, you know, a lot of people are asking, why is Apple doing this? I don't even want to touch on that. My my whole shtick with this is that um, before Dr. Dre was the richest hip-hop artist in history, that title actually belonged to my personal favorite rapper. Uh, yes, I have a favorite rapper. I, I, I happen to like rap amongst many other genres of music. Uh, P. Diddy. So Diddy, you know... Uh, Diddy had a brand on Beats that sold relatively well. You know, it was, it was an earbud thing, a little, little diamond on it, you know, the, with Diddy's usual uh, panache. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed that, that Diddy's really not getting the credit for helping Beats get to where it is. And I think uh, maybe <laughs> hopefully not before long, maybe maybe Diddy, Diddy will be back on top. So that's the only thing with the Beats thing. That, uh, that that kind of offends me is that Diddy really like made it happen. He was he was known as being the man, you know, that that the hip hop artist that really made it. And now it's Dre. Damn it. With say no sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's straight out of Compton right there. Uh, <laughs> I, I I say all that in, in jest. Of course I am a huge fan of Diddy. That's the and I actually I'm somewhat of a fan of, of Dre. Chronic was a pretty awesome album, right? But uh, ain't nothing but a G thing. 
So Firefox is implementing. Uh, this is pretty exciting because I'm always looking for that Skype killer. Uh, you know, if you want to add me on Skype, Brian.Sovereign, and of course, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N. Feel free to add me. I put I announced it on Twitter and all these other areas. Go ahead and add me there. It doesn't mean, I, you know, that I'm necessarily going to talk with you, but sometimes I do engage with my fans and some of the fans of the show do do know that, that, that I very much will engage with you uh, even on Skype. And, you know, but go ahead, you can add me on there. But anyway, I'd love for Skype to just die. Uh, (laughs) It's I look Skype. It's known. It's one of those. It's one of those pieces of software that everybody's known for years, way before Snowden or Drake or anybody that this app was recording you spying on you and was getting sent to U.S. government agencies. It's been known for so long, and people are just like, oh, yeah, I think I'll use this Skype. And now with Snowden revelations, they start freaking out, and, and it's it's crazy. Anyway, so for business reasons, I still have to use Skype, but boy, I'd love to see it go away. And Firefox, hopefully, is to some degree leading the charge on this. Not that they're the only ones that have uh, this built into them, but WebRTC, which is essentially a protocol allowing you to do voice calls, video calls, all kinds of stuff just within the browser itself. Other browsers have this built in. No one's really making use of it. But now in the Firefox nightlies, it's been noticed that it is getting implemented pretty seriously. And that's getting taken very, very seriously by Firefox as to where other companies, not so much. Uh, I mean, Google kind of does it, but they have their Hangouts thing and it's all part and parcel. Uh, so it, but it'll be good to, to see a nice, you know, open source implementation of, of WebRTC. Uh, re- really hoping for that. Uh, Twitter, maybe buying SoundCloud. I don't mind this. If this happens, that's, that's okay. I, I, Twitter is the least of all evils. They're still evil, but they are the least of all evils in the social media world. Uh, so if they buy SoundCloud, that's cool. But, you know, at the same time, I, I actually I kind of hope SoundCloud sticks to its guns. Uh, one, one listener of the show, he actually he made mention to me, he said, you know, SoundCloud has the potential to be a huge social media service on its own. Now, it already kind of is. Uh, and a lot of a lot of audio services are starting to do this, like TuneIn, which uh, Sovereign Tech is on TuneIn now. You can you can go check that out if you want. There's a link at SovereignTech.com on the left hand side of the page. Um, but anyway, SoundCloud has the potential to be like, you know, because before there was a Facebook and in, in MySpace, and even MySpace was, you know, relatively big because of the music that you could share on it, right? Uh, before all this stuff, you know, there was like Last FM. There, there was a whole slew of services that were really like MP3 or music based, and they were the social media empires of their time. And I think SoundCloud really might be in a in a in a prime position. To, to pull that off. Uh, but yeah, sooner or later, probably somebody's going to, going to buy them out, you know, whether that's, whether that's good or bad, if it's Twitter, whatever, I mean, Twitter music canceled. So I guess they gotta, they gotta run to something. Right. But speaking of Twitter, and by the way, as I say, there's, there's a new ad that says how you can help out the show, donate and all that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> following me on SoundCloud is like the number one thing you can do really to help out the show following on SoundCloud and Twitter are the two things that can really help out. So again, if they combine, Hey, you know, maybe my numbers will just combine in that case. Um, but speaking of Twitter, here's something I'd, I'd like, you know, Satya Nadella, who is the, he's the CEO of Microsoft now. Yeah. In case you didn't know, Balmer's gone. And he, I mean, just a, just a class act guy, really nice guy, really personable guy. 
he's not my first choice for being the head of Microsoft. Of course, Scott Forstall was. And if you don't know Scott Forstall, he was previously at Apple, kind of got uh, uh, let go by Apple. He was behind Apple Maps. And I'd really love it if <laughs> I want Scott Forstall working for Microsoft because I want to see what he could do with that beast. And so here, here's a here's a homework assignment, if you wish it. And I know the homework, the word homework could be triggering, I suppose. But here's a homework assignment for for listeners of Sovereign Tech. Tweet at Satya Nadella. And say, please hire Scott Forstall. Bring the vision to Microsoft, something like that. But just tell him we want you to hire Scott Forstall. OK. And anyway, I, I just. Something fun. We can interact with each other on song on on Sovereign Tech, right? <laughs> so if you want if you want to help out the show, I'd I'd be interested to see how many people tweet at him. I you know it'd probably be a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of tweets that get tweeted to him. But hey, it'd be fun. Anyway, let's get into our main story for this week. And boy, we've we've got a hell of an episode totally lined up for you. Believe me. Um, this is from Mike Elgin, a past guest of this show. And this is a really, really interesting, insightful article. And I want to get started reading right into it. And it's from Computer World. The hottest trend in mobile going offline. Ooh. Suddenly, the industry woke up to the reality that we can't always get connected to the Internet. The consumer electronics industry has spent the past 20 years making everything connect wirelessly to the Internet, from PCs to TVs, cameras and speakers. This includes, of course, the most wireless of wireless devices, the ubiquitous smartphone. Your average smartphone connects wirelessly in three ways via mobile broadband, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, all of which get faster, more reliable and more widely available all the time. So why is there now a big trend in the industry to make apps work in places where no Internet connection is available? Years ago, the dream was to blanket the world with universal connectivity. Entire cities would be blanketed with Wi-Fi. Continents would be dotted with cell towers. Uh, geosynchronous satellites would provide fast Internet connectivity to uh, everyone everywhere. Just look at the grandiose intentions of the Bill Gates backed company uh, Teledesic in the 1990s on day one of service. Teledesic will offer broadband telecommunications access for businesses, schools, and individuals everywhere on the planet. Teledesic went out of uh, business in 2002. In recent years, reality has sent in. We are has set in. We are nowhere near providing internet connectivity everywhere. So now companies are wisely starting to do to do the next best thing, making their apps and services work offline. Over the past month, the industry has flooded users with apps and services designed to work without an Internet connection. Google this week rolled out better offline support for its iOS and Android Google Maps, Maps apps. It enables you to choose an area and then tap a button to download the mapping data to your phone, saving it for later use. Then when you're out on the road, you can look at the map without going online. So you don't have to worry about getting lost if you're in a mobile broadband dead zone. The Android version of Google search has a new offline mode for the Google now feature as well. Even without a connection, the Google now cards will keep on coming. The company has also been working hard to make its cloud centric laptop platform, the Chromebook as functional offline as possible. That is true. Google publishes a page listing all the things you can do with a Chromebook without an internet connection. Things like using email, adding appointments to the calendar, and so on. Any day now, Chromebooks will have the ability to download and play TV shows and movies offline, and that is happening uh, through Google Play. 
Facebook this month updated its iOS app with the killer feature du jour in offline mode. The app now enables you to create posts without an internet connection. They're uploaded automatically the next time you connect. A similar Android app is upgrade is coming soon. Square is a point of sale product and services for phones and tablets that enables small companies and even individuals to accept credit cards and payments generally. With great fanfare, the company recently rolled out an offline mode, which enables companies to swipe credit cards without a connection. Once the connection is reestablished, the payment is processed. Uh, and then there's offline connectivity. Wait, what? <laughs> when Internet access is unavailable, the only option is to just deal with it. Or is it? A new technology in Apple's iOS 7 called the Multi-Peer Connectivity Framework enables connectivity in places where the Internet is inaccessible. It does this by enabling mesh networking or peer-to-peer -peer connections by apps that are explicitly designed to support multi-peer connectivity framework technology. Wireless mesh networks are made possible by the use of radio nodes that can both connect and be connected by other wireless mesh devices, forming an ad hoc chain of peer-to-peer -peer connectivity. And, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting point about Apple, you know, kind of leading the charge to some degree on this, but I'll talk about that more in a minute. Depending on the app, two kinds of networks can be formed with multi-peer connectivity framework technology. One is an isolated network, which is formed when, say, 10 devices connect and communicate with one another, but aren't connected to the Internet in any way. The other is a chain of devices that connect to each other and back to an Internet-connected device thereby bringing internet connectivity to all of them. And I, I just, I want to skip ahead here on the article. It gives some examples, great examples, including fire chat by, uh, which was kind of the first device to really make use of this multi-peer connectivity framework. Uh, but fire chat is designed by open garden. And of course, open garden, speaking of ne mesh networking is one of the best implementations I've seen of mesh networking. Not, not so much even of mesh, mesh networking, but, but just connectivity improvement overall, uh, and redundancy, a huge fan of open garden. Love it. And so they mentioned that, and then they mentioned a, a couple other pieces of software. Of course, you can look at the show notes at SovereignTech.com to read up on that. But uh, let's cut to the chase on it. And essentially, you know, it's clear that the mobile industry, this is Mike Elgin going on, uh, or wireless mesh networking has existed for years. But Apple's multi-peer connectivity framework is bringing it into the mainstream because it's built in as a core feature of a major consumer operating system. It's clear that the multi the mobile industry has finally given up on the fantasy that an internet connection is available to all users at all times. Reality has set in. And in the past month, we've seen a new wave of products and services that help us go offline and still function. So this is an interesting assessment because this is a very recent article. And Mike Elgin, like myself, is sort of the, the kind of tech journalist that is interested in the tech culture that reports on the tech culture, not so much, you know, the, the finer details or the rubbing elbows types. Uh, there's three different types and th those are the three. And this is interesting because when you consider that Facebook and Google have been buying up, uh, you know, like drone companies or whatever else to essentially, you know, transmit, or, you know, you have project uh, loon, that would transmit internet down to the masses. 
to think that they are planning on still working out offline, you know, or having their apps work better offline and more viably offline makes me think that perhaps when they bought out these companies, they started coming to the realization that maybe they can't do everything that they want to do. Believe me, the market's been there for not just, I mean, phone connectivity has been possible via satellite for a while, but the market's been there for a good 20 years. Okay. For the internet to be, well, about 20 years for the internet to be available to people that are seafaring. And it just hasn't worked out. You know, I mean, it's not like it's not like suddenly, you know, it's not like the tech wasn't there back then. The thing is, is that the technology itself, the ability as we know of it today may not work as well as everyone thinks it's going to work. They may not have the speeds that they're looking for, especially Google. Google wants video to be transmitted. YouTube is one of their biggest things. Uh, And so maybe they're finding out that, you know, that this whole, you know, drone powered Internet may not be able to really pull off the job for various reasons. And that is interesting. But more interestingly is that, you know, yeah, you know, the idea that this stuff is being pushed to go offline. I don't know how well that's going to work with people. In fact, I'll be interested to see statistics in the future to see how many people move to you know, urban areas, more urbanized areas and move away from, you know, the countryside or whatever, uh, just to be able to take advantage of so many of these new services, be they technological or not, but certainly powered by, you know, the mobile devices everywhere. It'll be interesting to see how many, you know, what that influx situation looks like where people are just going to move in just just to be able to for whatever reason take advantage of some of these services that apparently they never really needed before so why do they need them now uh but that you know that that's something that that may occur i don't know i just i thought the article is absolutely fascinating and pointing a lot of this out and in fact it really it made me feel a little more comfortable because i'm thinking because you know a lot of my thoughts are on okay let, well let, let, let's reset a little bit there's a lot of people saying that we're not, you know, there's people who use the word post PC and speaking to Satya Nadella, he said that we're in the post post PC. <laughs> we're in the post PC world. We're in the post tablet world. And a lot of people think that just literally everything is going to mobile. This may not be news, new news to you. Okay. But a lot of people thought everything was going to tablet, but now people are even saying that that, even with the growth numbers, the tablets are showing that that market's already come and gone, that literally everything will be going to mobile and everything will be not necessarily going to mobile. That's not the end game, but that everything will be app centric. And this is pushing towards that world, this offline capability of where everything is app centric. Now, the good thing about that is that, uh, myself, I want to, You know, I don't necessarily want my mobile phone. I don't want that consistent connectivity all the time. I have pushed, I've often talked about on this show, and I can talk about it more in the future, okay, where I think maybe people should get more, you know, with the idea, with connectivity clearly being an issue, and it seems like the big businesses, the ones that could actually have the money to try and solve this problem, can't solve this problem, at least right now, is that you need to have devices that can can connect to anything, anywhere, And so I've often made the push for having, you know, just a great smaller laptop, like a 14 inch or something that, you know, or even smaller that can just connect to anything anywhere and has tons of great software on it that can do it all. And to maybe even like leave the phone at home, (laughs) you know, Uh, and so, 
this is almost like a, a respite of a breather of not having to have everything be online. Now, of course, in Facebook's case, they just want you to be able to post it later. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, is this is this a push to somehow fight against the idea that a lot of people and a lot of people are there's what is it, the slow living movement where people are just wanting to slow down? They're not wanting to be so interconnected. I mean, holy shit, if I could if I could just. You know, I don't like email either, but if I <laughs> or email can be annoying, I like email fine for the technology that it is. But if I could eliminate all the social networks, you know, and not have to worry about that. Oh, please. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's crazy. And so maybe this is the pushback from these big companies against that saying, no, no, no. I look, I know, I know, I know you're I know you're in Oklahoma. And you can't connect to the Internet right now, but just post what you're experiencing. Go ahead, take that picture and we'll post it later for you. We don't want you to think that you can have a good time without Facebook. Is that is that what this is about? Is that is it the pushback against that? Because what happens is when people get out of an area, what's that? What's that? I love that saying, you know, that when you go into the forest, you won't have uh, you'll find you have the best connection ever, even though you can't get 3G. Because you're connecting with people fucking in front of you. It's an interesting thing. I mean, this is something where my opinions have changed, you know, they, they, they've kind of uh, uh, seesawed a bit because, you know, I didn't think that it was necessarily a problem, you know, that, that having this hyper connectivity was so much of an issue, but now I'm starting to think, yeah, maybe, maybe it is a problem. Not in the way that a lot of people talk about, because a lot of people are, are saying, you know, that they, they can't control themselves or, or whatever. I mean, you do what you want to do, but maybe there is something missing in having all this, you know, like the attention span. Maybe it's, that's my problem, is that I think maybe the attention span is disappearing. So is this good or bad? We're on the brink of a global finance paradigm shift, and at the core of this movement, Bitcoin. But many early adopters need a safe, stable, and secure method of storing Bitcoin that doesn't require an electronic device. Enter CryptoCards, the world's first BIP38 passphrase encrypted laser-edged aluminum offline wallets. CryptoCards are the same size as a credit card, only they're scratch-resistant, waterproof, and flame-resistant up to 600 degrees. Unlike paper wallets, they won't ever rip, fade, or crumple, and the high-density aluminum is rated to last 75 years. Your coins will be secure for as long as you need. Having Bitcoin physically allows you to store them in a secure location instead of on a networked computer. This is key. Your funds will be impervious to hacks and the negligence of third parties. It's a truly trustless system. You hold the keys, you hold the funds. For more info, visit CryptoCards.co. We ship worldwide and using the code FTL, you'll save 10%. We're proud to be part of a liberty-oriented movement and the future is looking bright. Hello, Mr. Sovereign. Brian Sovereign. And yours? Natalia. Care to play a game of roulette? I'd love to. Number and color? 69. Black. As you wish. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette, where you send me the stories and I end up talking about them. Uh, got a couple here for you. One of them is exceptionally long, and so I won't be able to read the whole thing, but we will definitely talk about 
its implications. But before I do, I just want to make one last point on the last segment uh, where I was talking about offline connectivity and that maybe this like hyperconnectivity, hyperconnectedness is a problem. You know, there was a story where there's a company that's developing a an app for Google Glass where it will, you know, as you're reading a book, it will instantaneously, like if you don't know the definition of a word, it will bring up the definition of the word for you and everything. And I, you know, admittedly, I get how that's useful, but a part of me felt kind of disturbed in that it's like, you don't, well, no need for me to know the definition of words. I'll just ask Google glass, you know? And it's like, you know, are you even, when you're offline, are you going to know anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? When this stuff happens, maybe that's why they need all this offline connectivity. I don't know, but I, I do this, this, the, yeah, being online all the time and, and all that, I get the advantages, but I'm starting to really, really wonder, um, if, yeah, I know these companies, they're trying to, they're trying to be Star Trek, right? And they're trying to, you know, bring us towards like what Starfleet's like, but I, I, I feel like we're heading way more towards the Borg than we are Starfleet. And, uh, that's, that may not be such a great thing. Um, but anyway, speaking of, uh, something that is, that may be broken, TrueCrypt, uh, this is the first bit that people wanted me to talk about, uh, TrueCrypt. There was, you know, essentially a, you know, the website that you go to download TrueCrypt from, I think version 7.2 or whatever came out, just came out, of, just came out and said, uh, you know, we're, we're done making TrueCrypt, uh, use BitLocker. It's all over. And people, a lot of people think, oh, this is, you know, what, what the hell just happened? Did they get hacked? Did, you know, are they warning against the NSA? What happened here? There hasn't been any news as far as what occurred there. Uh, and I don't necessarily recommend using BitLocker unless you do use Windows and you don't have any other options. And yeah, you know, some encryption's better than no encryption, even though, you know, one could argue that BitLocker is easy to break into. Uh, th- this is this is just a weird thing. Yeah, don't uh, my recommendation, don't use TrueCrypt. I don't know what's going on there. And I don't think it was a prank because if it was a prank, uh, they, they had the name of all the TrueCrypt developers. They had, uh, I mean, like this was so... It would have it would have been an inside job, to, you know, if it were a prank. But it's not funny because, I mean, there's people who, you know, whose literal lives are on the line with TrueCrypt. If this is meant to be a prank, it's a bad one. Uh, so anyway, I, I cannot whether actually whether it comes out now that it was a prank or that it wasn't, I cannot in good conscience say trust your life with TrueCrypt. OK, so there, there you go. There, there's my thoughts on TrueCrypt. Now, let's move into something else that may be broken. Actually, according to this article from Medium by Quinn Norton, everything is broken. <laughs> and uh, and boy, this this got some this made some rounds. Uh, this was really controversial, uh, a controversial write up. So let's start reading into it again. Don't know if I'm going to get through all of it because it is really, really long. But you can go to the show notes, SovereignTech.com. Click on the episode and you can see the show notes and get all the links there. Uh, you know, and, and, and check it out for yourself. Once upon a time, a friend of mine accidentally took over thousands of computers. He had found a vulnerability in a piece of software and started playing with it. In the process, he figured out how to get total administration access over a network. He put it in a script and ran it to see what would happen, then went to bed for about four hours. Next morning, on the way to work, he checked on it and discovered he was now Lord and Master of about 50,000 computers. After nearly vomiting in fear, he killed the whole thing and deleted all the files associated with it. In the end, he said he threw the hard drive into a bonfire. 
I can't tell you who he is because he doesn't want to go to federal prison, which is what could have happened if he'd told anyone that could uh, that could do anything about the bug he'd found. Did that bug get fixed? Probably eventually, but not by my friend. This story isn't extraordinary at all. Spend much time in the hacker and security scene. You'll hear stories like this and worse. It's hard to explain to regular people how much technology barely works. How much the infrastructure of our lives is held together by the IT equivalent of bailing wire. Computers and computing are broken. For a bunch of us, especially those who had followed security in the warrantless wiretapping cases, the revelations weren't big surprises. We didn't know the specifics, but we, but people who keep an eye on software, new computer technology was sick and broken. We've, been, uh, we've known for years that those who want to take advantage of that fact tend to circle like buzzards. The NSA wasn't and isn't the great predator of the Internet. It's just the biggest scavenger around. It doesn't. It isn't doing so well because they are all powerful math wizards of doom. The NSA is doing so well because software is bullshit. Eight months before Snowden's first revelation, I tweeted this. See, spoiler alert. Everything's got zero days. Everyone's tracked. All the data leaks. All the things are vulnerable. It's all fucking pwned. And this was this was tweeted on August 17th, 2012 by Quinn Norton. It was my exasperated acknowledgement that looking for good software to count on has been a losing battle written by people with either no time or no money. Most software gets shipped the moment it works well enough to let someone go home and see their family. What we get is mostly terrible software is so bad because it's so complex and because it's trying to talk to other programs on the same computer or over connections to other computers. Even your computer is kind of more than one computer boxes within boxes. And each one of those computers is full of little programs trying to coordinate their actions and talk to each other. Computers have gotten incredibly complex while people have remained the same gray mud with pretensions of godhood. Your average piece of shit Windows desktop is so complex that no one, no one person on earth really knows what all of it is doing or how. Now imagine billions of little unknowable boxes within boxes constantly trying to talk and coordinate tasks at around the same time, sharing bits of data and passing commands around from the smallest little program to something huge like a browser. That's the Internet. All of that has to happen nearly simultaneously and smoothly, or you throw a hissy fit because the shopping cart forgot about your movie tickets. We often point out that the phone you mostly play on uh, out that the phone you mostly play casual games on and keep dropping in the toilet at bars is more powerful than all the computing we used to go to space for decades. NASA had a huge staff of geniuses to understand and care for their software. Your phone has you. Plus a system of, of automatic updates you keep putting off uh, because you're in the middle of a Candy Crush saga every time it asks. Boy, let me tell you, let me, <laughs> I am so, I, I am uh, obsessive compulsive about updating my software on my phone. I, I check, I don't wait for, for Android to notify me. I, I check it like 15 times a day. I go to the Play Store to see if there's any updates. 
Because all of this, security is terrible. Besides being riddled with annoying bugs and impossible dialogues, programs often have a special kind of hackable flaw called zero days by the security scene. No one can protect themselves from zero days. It's their defining feature. Zero is the number of days you've had to deal with this form of attack. There are meh, not so terrible zero days. There are very bad zero days. And there are catastrophic zero days that hand the keys to the house to whomever, to whomever strolls by. Think Heartbleed? I promise that right now you are reading this on a device with all three types of zero days. Uh, I'm reading it on a Chromebook, and it's probably still accurate, as good as Chromebooks are. But Quinn, I can hear you say, if no one knows about them, how do you know I have them? Because even okay software has to work with terrible software. The number of people whose job it is to make software secure can practically fit in a large bar. And I've watched them drink. It's not comforting. It isn't a matter of you of if you get owned, only a matter of when. Look at it this way. Every time you get a security update, seems almost daily on my Linux box, whatever is getting updated has been broken, lying there, vulnerable for who knows how long, sometimes days, sometimes years. Nobody really advertises that part of updates. People say, you should apply this. It's a critical patch and leave off the, because the developers fucked up so badly, your children's identities are probably being sold to the Estonian mafia by smack addicted script kitties right now. Really bad bugs, and who knows which one those are when they click the restart later button, can get swept up by hackers, governments, and other horrors of the net that, the, that are scanning for versions of software they know they can exploit. Any computer that shows up in a scan saying, hey, me, I'm vulnerable, can become a part of a botnet along with thousands of hundreds of thousands of other computers. Often zomboid computers get owned again and become part of yet another botnet. Some botnets patch computers to throw out the other botnets so they don't have to share you with other hackers. How can you tell if this is happening? You can't. Have fun wondering if you're getting out your online life rented out by the hour. Next time you think your grandma is uncool, give her credit for her time helping dangerous Russian criminals extort money from offshore offshore casinos with DDoS attacks. <laughs> Recently, an anonymous hacker wrote a script that took over embedded Linux devices. These owned computers scanned the whole rest of the Internet and created a survey that told us more than we'd ever known about the shape of the Internet. The little hacked boxes reported their data back a full 10 terabytes worth and quietly deactivated the hack. It was a sweet and useful example of someone who hacked the planet to shit. If that malware had actually been malicious, we would have been so fucked. And you know what? This is actually this. I had this on my Google Plus page. This was like my cover photo was the picture of how the Internet is used around the world. And this literally it was a totally, you know, quote unquote, illegal, uh, a totally illegitimate uh, use, uh, you know, collection system. And uh, that's absolutely true. Imagine if that was malicious. Um, I, I'm I'm going to skip ahead quite quite a bit here. I mean, there, there, <laughs> there's just there, there's so much there's so much to talk about. You know, there there there, there really is uh, like the, the fact that there aren't great coders. That that is so true. They are so rare. You know what it takes to be a coder with the OpenBSD team. That, that may be the greatest conglomerate of coders in, on the planet are the guys that work for OpenBSD. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. A well-written encrypted chat. What could go wrong? Let's take an example computer experts like to stare down their noses at normal people for not using. OTR. It's off the record. I recommend using that. 
OTR, or off-the-record messaging, sneaks a layer of encryption inside normal plain text instant messaging. It's like you got uh, an aim or jabber or whatever and talked in code, except the computer is making the code for you. OTR is clever and solid. It's been examined carefully, and we're fairly sure it hasn't got any of those nasty zero days, except OTR isn't a program you use as such. There is a standard for OTR software and a library, but it doesn't do anything on its own. It gets implemented in software for normal human schlubs to use by other normal human schlubs. By now, you know, this ends in tears. The main thing that uses OTR is another piece of software that uses a library called LibPurple. If you want to see InfoSec snobs look as distressed as the donkeys that shit out their interfaces, bring up LibPurple. LibPurple was written in a programming language called C. C is good for two things, being beautiful and creating catastrophic zero days in memory management. And that was my second point that I was going to bring up with, the, with OpenBSD. A lot of that team's going to the Go language because most of the programming languages suck ass. I'm saying that. That's not the article. I'm telling you, most of the programming languages out there are pure shit. But we deal with it. Heartbleed, the bug that affected the world over, leaking password and encryption keys and who knows what, classic, gorgeous C. Lib Purple was written by people who wanted their open source chat client to talk to every kind of instant messaging system in the world and didn't give a shit about security or encryption. Security people who have examined the code have said there are so many possible ways to exploit exploit Lib Purple. There's probably no point in patching it. It needs to be thrown out and rewritten from scratch. These aren't bugs that let someone read your encrypted messages. They are bugs that let someone take over your whole computer, see everything you type or read and probably watch you pick your nose on your webcam. This lovely tool, OTR, sits on top of Lid Purple on most systems that use it. Oh, man, there, there's there's so much to go on. Uh, people as well are broken. I trust you was my least favorite thing to hear from my sources in Anonymous. Inevitably, it was followed by some piece of information they shouldn't have been telling me. It is the most natural and human thing to share something personal with someone you are learning to trust. But in exasperation, I kept trying to remind Anons that's anonymous people, they were connecting to a computer relaying through countless servers, switches, routers, cables, wireless links, and finally to my highly targeted computer before they were connecting to another human being. All of this was happening in the time it takes to one person to draw in a deep committal breath. It's obvious to say, but bears repeating, humans were not built to think this way. Now that is a fascinating concept. Everyone fails to use software correctly. Absolutely everyone fucks up. OTR doesn't encrypt until after the first message, a fact that leading security professionals and hackers subject to 20 country manhunts, manhunts consistently forget. Uh, managing all the encryption and decryption keys, you need to keep your data safe across multiple devices, sites, and accounts is theoretically possible in the same way performing, ap performing an appendectomy on yourself is theoretically possible. This one guy did it in Antarctica once. Why can't you? Every malware expert I know has lost track of what some file is, clicked on it to see, and then realized they'd executed some malware they were supposed to be examining. It goes on. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut right to the end here. There is so much great stuff to, to read here. This is phenomenal, uh, really perspective-creating uh, article. And Facebook and Google seem very powerful, but they live about a week from total ruin all of the time. They know the cost of leaving social networks individually is high, but en masse becomes next to nothing. Windows could be replaced with something better written. The U.S. government would fall to a general revolt in a matter of days. 
It wouldn't take a total defection or a general revolt to change everything because corporations and governments would rather bend to demands than die. These entities do everything they can get away with, but we've forgotten that we're the ones that are letting them get away with things. Computers don't serve the needs of both privacy and coordination, not because it's somehow mathematically impossible. There are plenty of schemes that could federate or safely encrypt our data, plenty of ways we could regain privacy and make our computers work better by default. It isn't happening now because we haven't demanded that it should, not because no one is clever enough to make that happen. So, yes, the geeks and the executives and the agents and the military have fucked the world. But in the end, it's the job of the people working together to unfuck it. Ooh, boy, this is so true. This is, I mean, wow. This, this is what I'm saying is that, the, you know, something I've been talking about recently is that even the Internet, as we know of it today, I'm talking about the Internet as in the DNS structure, you know, URLs and all that stuff. I'm not necessarily talking about, uh, you know, the, <laughs> all the lines running anywhere, everywhere may be fundamentally flawed. All of these systems may be fundamentally flawed, and we've got to look hard and deep at these things, considering what's going on now with Panopticon. Now, granted, like I've mentioned before, Panopticon clearly is also, isn't, isn't real because as much as this, this ultra surveillance going on, uh, you know, is out there, it's working against the governments too, like hashtag my NYPD. But this is, we, you know, you have to, <laughs> I love it how, how it just it points out that all this stuff is literally hung by a thread. In fact, it kind of reminds me of uh, some old survivalist uh, kind of mentalities where they said, look, the instant you cut off the water supply, society just completely falls apart. Well, a lot of these companies, a lot of the software, a lot of the stuff we use is just waiting for that one moment when the water supply gets cut off and then it could literally just completely fall apart. And yet we rely on it. We depend on it. We, I mean, in so many ways, I mean, Christ, we're going to expect Google glass to tell us what everything means. I think this deserves a good long look. I want you to read this article. Maybe if you have questions about it, I'll maybe I'll talk about them next week, but this is, I don't find any inaccuracies here. It's creepy when you think about it. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Hey, Brian, what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't. See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org. EFF? What's that? It's the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Totally donor-funded organization that fights for internet freedom, privacy. Wow, that sounds great. So EFF.org, I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. You're a lucky man, Mr. Sovereign. Not many win so well at the game of chance. That's because it's not a game of chance, Natalia. It's a game of choice. <laughs> game of choice. It is time for Game of Choice. Boy, how do you follow up <laughs> that article? Christ. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. I, you know, I was going to say, look, I love, all right, one comment. I love Bitcoin. Okay, I love Bitcoin. I've said it on the show many times. The Bitcoin code in and of itself is crap. 
Okay. <laughs> so keep that in perspective too. Bitcoin cannot fail. Oh yes, it can. Please. I love Bitcoin. Okay. We, we talked earlier about the Willie report, man, read that. <laughs> anyway, um, let, let's get into game of choice this week. I actually, you know, game of choice is where I it's, it's game of the week. It's where I can talk about, you know, maybe a game that went under the radar a game. You should be checking out, uh, or maybe it's a popular one. Um, you know, I, I'd love to do uh, Wolfenstein, the new order for game of the week. I love that. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, that, that's a great game, but you don't need me to tell you about that. So I want to tell you about games and maybe even games that, that, that were missed that never happened. Oh boy. Did I find out about a game that never happened? There was uh, a game that eventually took the form of Universe Online. It was an MMO, okay, kind of like an EVE Online. It was it was supposed to be sort of a Me Too, I guess, of EVE Online. And this was being developed uh, relatively recently, past few years. And originally the game was supposed to be a Babylon five MMO. Oh man. And <laughs> I mean, talk about my life being over, right? I, <laughs> you know, if, if I could get in an MMO where I'm existing in the Babylon five universe, like, you know, wh what am I going to do? <laughs> uh, and, and it's such a shame. And I, I, there's a link in the show notes to a deviant art page where some of the, the concept art for that MMO are, is available. And you can check it out. Now, apparently this company that was going to put it out there that ended up doing Universe Online instead, they they actually got they got Straczynski. They got J. Michael Straczynski to do stories for for it. And believe me, you think Straczynski wouldn't want to do it. He tried. This was back in the 90s with uh, Sierra Games used to be a big game company. Uh, Sierra Games. They were going to make a Babylon 5 game. I think they even made a trailer for it. If I remember right, there was a, there was a DVD or a CD that came out the best of Babylon five or something, not, not the album, but an actual like CD ROM that, that had a bunch of, you know, it was like, they did this in the nineties. It was pretty cool. It was like trying to make interactive encyclopedias and all that. There was a Star Trek encyclopedia that came out that way, which is pretty cool to where like, instead of just looking up information about the enterprise B and the updated Excelsior class starship, you could actually see the, you know, the upgraded uh, or the refit, excelsior class starship in action it was pretty cool and so there was like a babylon 5 disc like this and i think even on that they had a trailer or at least they had mentions if i remember correctly of the sierra game uh of babylon 5 so babylon 5 you know everybody's always seen the potential for it to be a video game because it is such a sprawling universe uh kind of like star wars and it, you know just a ton of potential there but this is really a shame this this could have been you know, maybe it wouldn't have taken off because how many people even really know about Babylon 5? I've actually, you know, with my ad, I run an ad on this show uh, for Babylon 5. I've run it since episode one, and I will continue to run it. That is the ad that will never go away. I've changed. I've made different ads, but an ad for Babylon 5 will never go away. And I've gotten, at last count, I've gotten somewhere around 300 people to finally watch Babylon 5. Because I just, you know, I, I used, uh, you know, Monarch, Monarch Mind Control programming in my ad to get people to watch it. I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> but I did kind of put it down your throat. You know, watch Babylon 5. This is the greatest show ever. And everybody's been very thankful. You know, wow, thank you for introducing me to that. And so, you know, maybe just maybe an MMO like this just wouldn't have been. Oh, what happened was, I guess, is that Time Warner ended up wanting to charge triple uh, after they got a new, uh, you know, a new ambassadorial team to this, to this game company. Uh, they want to end up charging triple for the licensing of Babylon five. 
And so now we don't have an incredible Babylon 5 game. And, you know, these these usually work pretty well. Like, uh, you know, A Galaxy Divided for Star Wars was a fantastic MMO. The Matrix Online was an incredible MMO. Yes, it was. Yes, it was a great MMO with great stories written by the, by the, you know, Wachowskis. And we could add that with B5 with, with Straczynski. Would have been amazing. Could have kept on going. It'd be going forever. Oh, well, a lot of missed opportunities out there. But check out the artwork for it, because boy, did it look good. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. When it comes to women's chests, men often focus on the breasts and nipples. However, the part of a woman's chest that she might prefer having kissed and caressed could be the area above her nipples. Let's say from her neck, shoulders, and armpits, radiating down to her breasts. Or maybe she prefers the underside of her breasts to be kissed and caressed. As for what women have told us about nipple stimulation, one woman might not like nipple stimulation at all, no matter what. Another might like it, but wants it to be very gentle, while a third might really want to feel it. This can also depend on how aroused a woman is. She might not want much nipple stimulation at the start, but enjoys it more when she's more turned on. Now, for some women, one breast or nipple can be more sensitive than the other. And here's something that men can really find confusing. When you're doing something that a woman finds pleasurable one moment or one day, but the next moment, it's painful. Also, some women's breasts become more sensitive during certain times of the month, especially if they're taking birth control pills. This is why it's so important to ask a lover what she does and doesn't enjoy when it comes to breast and nipple play. Develop clear signals. That way, she can let you know when adjustments need to be made instead of your having to be a mind reader. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. You are quite the man, Mr. Sovereign. Are you busy tonight? Natalia, if... You'll excuse me, I uh, just received a very important email. Later then, Mr. Sovereign. Important email. It's time for important email, which is where I essentially read your listener emails. Boy, you know, I got, I got some feedback. Real Speaking of emails, I got some feedback. Everybody seemed to really enjoy kind of the, the new segments. Of course, nobody got to hear the the uh, the, the non-cable television scrambled pornified version of the climax but <laughs> um but you will on this episode i promise but uh, yeah everybody seemed to like it and they they said you know one person actually commented and said yeah you know it may get like repetitive really fast you know because the the whole story might get kind of repetitive and i do agree but the thing is is that with the present setup i made it easy enough to where i would just essentially write a new script for it, you know, like a, like, you know, a movie script, not a, not a computer, you know, not a language script. Uh, and so I will shake it up, uh, eventually down the line. So I won't let it, I won't let it get stale. That's, that's why I like changing things on the show, reordering things, putting in new music here and there or whatever. And everybody loved the new theme and all that. And I'm, boy, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> I love it too. Um, so anyway, let's get to your listener emails. I'm going to try and I've, I've got a, I got a lot of, lot of time here, so I'm going to try 
and get to quite a few. I have tons of like little questions uh, that were asked. And again, you can email me sovereigntech at riseup.net. You can get in touch with me any way you want. Google plus Twitter. You can DM me on Twitter. That's fine too. Um, with, with the email, you know, you, you can email me if you need to know the answer, like right away, like somehow it's mission critical. Okay. Cause I get people asking me, uh, questions about Bitcoin projects. I get people asking me questions about activism and things like that. And I do want to help you because we are changing the world, right? We are. So, you know, if, if it's really, really important, you got to tell me if you could answer quickly, that'd be great. Okay. I know you're being respectful, you, you know, just go ahead and ask me and just make sure you mention that. Otherwise I'm going to save it for the show. Okay. And I probably won't respond necessarily directly to your email. Have gotten a lot, uh, quite a few donations recently. Thank you so much for all of that. Some people donated even Aurora coin to the show. Uh, some more name coin. I love both of those. I love name coin, especially, um, there's uh, Bitcoin donations to the show. I, I thank you so, so much. You, that really helps me out and it lets me know that you appreciate what I do. And that's, you know, that keeps, keeps me going. Right. So anyway, let's, let's get to some of these, uh, you know, a lot of people have said too, that the listener email is one, pretty much their favorite segment of the show, uh, because I get into some deeper subjects. So not all these emails I'm going to get to are going to be deeper subjects, but I want to get, I want to get to them. Uh, and somewhere in here, we'll, we'll talk about deeper stuff. Uh, let's see what, what's, what's the first one here. Uh, just, a let's see, just a, a last quick opinion. If I could, this is part of a longer email. So a lot of people are emailing multiple questions. That's fine. I, I organize them and I'll talk about them. Uh, say you had some now underpowered mining equipment, say 30 gigahash or so for Bitcoin mining when it becomes or became unprofitable to run it connected to a pool. Would you prefer to turn it off or point it at a local QT Bitcoin D client in the hopes of maybe finding a block in a year or two? Uh, power and internet costs ignored. Well, I guess I have two answers to that. If if power and internet costs were not a part of the program, uh, then yeah, leave, leave the network going. You, you know what I mean? Like, uh, go, go ahead, uh, ha- have that power out there. I don't think that that's necessarily wasteful. Where it may be wasteful, though, is in that Bitcoin may not be the currency slash platform of the future. And so, you know, like it, it, in fact, we may want something better. Okay. Because especially considering a lot of, Hey, again, look, I love Bitcoin. I know I, I, I am critical of the things that I really have high hopes in. Okay. That's a good thing. Too many people in the space, maybe a fear of their lives, uh, are yes men and they don't want to step on toes. I don't care. I don't mind stepping on toes. Okay, so but please understand, I love Bitcoin. I, we got an email to Sex and Science Hour where this guy's just like, "Oh, you think Bitcoin's a hipster? Well, get the fuck out of it, then you you know, and wear a fedora or something." It's like, no, you idiot. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying that like the people that don't understand what Bitcoin was supposed to be about have come in and they're ruining it. Fuck nut. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, just these yutzes sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, Bitcoin may not be the thing to promote. And so thus, in that case, if you feel that way, that you are looking for, say, you're wanting to push next, you're wanting to push NXT or you're wanting to push, call it Ethereum, whatever, doesn't matter, whatever you want to push, then supporting the Bitcoin network could be antithetical to your overall aims. So that's the question you have to ask yourself. Okay. 
You know, a good question overall, and this actually, this comes from uh, the quote unquote, the only real man on the Bitcoin forums, uh, Justice Ranveer, also known as the John Connor or the, I think he likes to go as the, the Martin Luther, and that's not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the Martin Luther of Bitcoin as well. But he asks this great question all the time is what problem does it solve? And with anything you do, I think it's okay to ask that question. What problem does it solve? Steve Jobs did the same thing. He always asked, what problem does it solve? When he went to go buy, I I tell the story a lot. When he went to go buy a sofa, he asked, okay, why do we need a sofa? He wasn't being an asshole to his wife. He was saying, what problem does it solve? Okay. And so now you can take that to an extreme and become so hyper minimalist that you own nothing. But at the same time, it's, it's definitely a good starting point in a question like this, would you leave a miner running, et cetera? So there's my answer is that if you want to, you know, keep supporting the Bitcoin and, you know, power, if, if power were an issue, if, you know, like the electric bill was an issue, I'd say turn it off. But <laughs> I mean, cause there's, you know, there, there was charts coming out where GigaHash, they showed how much a GigaHash.io or GHash.io uh, was doing as far as mining. And they're up like 34. I mean, it, it's an insane percentage. They, they could take over the Bitcoin network anytime they really wanted to. Uh, which is a little disconcerting, but let's, uh, let's move on here. We have the next question is on a different note. I was thinking about purchasing and actually this person had a really great topic that I think I will end up doing for a, uh, climb for the climax at some point about, uh, uh, reboots and, and remakes. But anyway, this is a separate question on a different note. I was thinking about purchasing a PS4 and that's PlayStation 4, and upgrading the hard drive. In your opinion, has Seagate improved over the years? Because I would hate to purchase a 1.5 terabyte hard drive and have it crap out on me in a couple of years. If not, uh, what other companies make reliable hard drives? I used to be a huge fan of Seagate uh, up until recently. They were actually bought out by Samsung in 2011, and Samsung, in my opinion, makes terrible hard drives. Uh, So, yeah, I, you know, and, and Seagate did get better, I don't know to what degree Samsung is really, I, I haven't messed with a Seagate drive in a while. I've been using Western Digital and they've done very, very well for me, including all three of their models. They have like, the, or they have four, but I've used three of them. There's the black, uh, they have black hard drives, they have green hard drives and blue hard drives. And both the green and the blue have worked great the black worked great too. So Western Digital is really solid right now. Amazingly, um, I used to think differently, but Seagate bought out Maxter years ago. Maxter was really the king of hard drives for, for quite some time. They, they had to get bought out because I think they were making such high quality stuff that their, you know, their margins just couldn't support it anymore. So, uh, you know, Seagate is good as, as long as Samsung has not changed what Seagate did, then yes, in recent years, Seagate has gotten significantly better. Okay. Uh, than than what they were because they're using Mac stores, uh, you know, uh, build quality. Okay. So a Seagate could, could last you a good long while, but I'll say the Western digitals, especially the Western digital blues for storage, uh, ha- has been, and even for not just storage, but also for, for main, main running has been phenomenal. I, I mean, really, really great. And, and I think they, they offer them at a pretty low price point too. So we have that, uh, let's see is, uh, Someone emailed me, uh, a listener of the show, a really, really nice guy. He emailed asking about uh, the use of the word libertine. And he, you know, he mentioned how the word, because I did a couple episodes ago, I did an intro where I asked Google now define libertine. And it essentially Google now said something to the effect of, you know, a person who's a moral, uh, et cetera. 
And so, you know, the, the listener very kindly said, it's like, are you sure you want to be using that word? Because, you know, it kind of carries that connotation of saying that it's immoral. He said he understood, you know, that, I, that I'm, <laughs> you know, a very, very sexually expressive person. Um, but, uh, you know, that maybe this is this is a problem. And I, I see his point and I really appreciate him being concerned. I see his point. But I think that the, that definition, particularly that definition of immoral of what they consider immorality is absolutely what I am. I am completely an immoral person by the common standards. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I got accused of, I was, I was called a, a nihilist in another email. And so, you know, I looked up the definition of nihilism actually. And I, I rather like the definition that I read. Now I understand like, like there's this, you know, philosophical term that nihilism means that nothing is real and uh, you know, that there's no moral code or whatever, but actually the very first definition of nihilism, the very first definition in the dictionary is someone that rejects, you know, social, essentially, you know, social institutions and governments that rejects all of them. And that's not an unfair description of me. You know, because I don't believe in the nuclear family. Uh, I don't believe in marriage. I mean, I, I don't know what institutions out there that I actually agree with. I don't dig the church. I don't dig governments. I don't. Uh, what, what other institutions are, are out there? I mean, l- l- let's take the pick. I don't know which one I actually like. I don't think there's any. So, you know, it, it's not I, I think libertine fits. I, I appreciate his point. I know what he's trying to say. Uh, but I think that there, the word immoral, if I were to look up the definition of that, would easily describe me, you know, and would describe a lot of anarchists. It would describe most anarchists, or maybe not most, but it would describe a large amount of anarchists, uh, anarchists of all stripes, not just, you know, ANCAPs or or whatever. So great question. Uh, you know, I, I really, I, I appreciate that. Um, so let's, let's see. What, what other great question? We got some more time here, which is, which is really cool. I love, do you like the extent, please? I got some feedback, send more feedback though. Let me know if you like the extended, fully extended segments that, that, that I offer now. Okay. Next question. Let's see. Don't you think this one, I kind of wrapped up because there's a really long uh, tirade that this listener went on and I will not mention his name. <laughs> uh, don't you think, hasn't Google done anything good? Uh, this person thinks that I just constantly rip on Google. You know, I really don't. I I don't mean to constantly rip on Apple or Google or Microsoft. I mean, and I hate that cliche line. It's like, oh, I'm an equal opportunity hater. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not. I actually like a lot of what these companies have done and do. Um, but to answer, like, isn't there one good thing that Google has done? Yes, they made the Go language or they helped develop it. There you go. There's my answer to that. <laughs> Uh, let's see. In, oh, environmentalism on anarchist perspective. I think we need a little more time to talk about that. Oh, here's a good one because Porkfest is coming up. Please, if you are if you are coming to Porkfest, don't hesitate to say hi to me. Uh, you know, strike up a conversation. So I, I enjoy that. I like to meet listeners. I uh, have a great time. And please, you don't have to have listened to every episode of Sovereign Tech. Okay, <laughs> you you don't like. A lot of people will preface, oh, I haven't listened in a little bit. It's okay. You don't have to listen. You don't ever have to listen, you know, and you don't even have to listen to Sovereign Tech to say hi to me. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, anyway, and so the question was, um, I hear, um, dot, 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 five dots. I hear Porkfest is full of assholes trying to one-up each other on how libertarian they can be. True or false? <laughs> Honest question. <laughs> so you can ask me anything. Um, and, yeah, boy, let me tell you, all right. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Kind of <laughs> that that's not that's not wholly unfair uh, to say, of course, that's for any liberty event. You know, it's a, it's a whole lot of dick measuring occurs at at these events. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, and it's not even what, what makes it worse is that it's not even just like the normal people that come there, but like the speakers that go there are engaging in the most dick measuring possible uh, and they and and they they keep attending all these liberty events and and, and it's like well anyway I'm I'm not gonna not gonna go into that part um, but it's not it's not full of assholes there's plenty of very very nice people but there are certainly a lot of people there that uh, you know that do engage in one-upsmanship and they like to get in arguments over property and things like that and fortunately I've been relatively spared those conversations and I don't know why I, I'm, I'm beginning actually to think that for some reason, cause you know, I don't, other than a couple of great podcasts out there, I don't get asked to be on a whole lot of podcasts. Someone else had a listener question about that and I'll get to that later at some point. Uh, like puke and the gang has asked me to be on, uh, there there's, there's a, maybe one other show that's asked me to be, or actually Taron Lupo asked me to be on his show and I had to respectfully decline as, as much as I would have loved it. But I'm beginning to think that I, I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm people think of me as maybe the village idiot or they you know they they just they think I'm so insane that there's no point in talking to me or or, or something I don't know I never get invited to talk at these things and no one ever really asks no one in the in the liberty community it seems and certainly no one really at Porkfest ever seems to come up and ask me some people do some friends of mine do you know of course but but no one seems to ask me hey you know what do you think about this. And, you know, so I, I, I get spared this game of one-upsmanship, you know, uh, it, it never, it never really seems to, to, to happen to me and boy, it, it would turn into a mess because I mean, j just get me started on talking about property. And I guarantee that, that some libertarians heads are just going to, you know, the steam's going to come out of their ears. Uh, so, but it's true. It, it's, it's there, but pork fest is tons of fun. There are so many great people. You're talking over a thousand people. There's so many great people that, you know, not every it's impossible for everybody to be. Well, it's not impossible, but <laughs> it'd be insane for, for everybody to be assholes. I would like to share with you. I've shared this before. Um, I would be willing to share with you my first experience of Porkfest, which was not a positive uh, experience, actually. And that was it was my first it was 2000, 2012. It would be was my first Porkfest. And I went there. And I had the expectation of, you know, this, oh, this is going to be amazing. A lot of peace loving people. And actually part of what I'm about to say still applies. Uh, if you were a reporter, you know, if you were on assignment, say with the New York times or on a, whatever, if you're on assignment to go to pork fest, to a you know, to a Liberty loving peace, loving peace is the way event. And you went there you you'd hit culture shock not because you know it's a bunch of libertarians you did culture shock because you'd be like wait a minute i thought these people were peaceful but all you're gonna see is everybody a lot of people wearing camouflage you're gonna see tents 
with like the gilla netting around it. You're going to see, you know, with the, like the mesh kind of, you know, to, to camouflage netting. Uh, you're going to see, you know, guns everywhere. People and not just being, you know, like sold. I mean, like people wearing guns like they look people look armed to the teeth. There were guys I saw a guy. He had like four knives on him. He had one in his boot, one in his on the back of his belt, one in the front of his belt. Probably there was one in his belt buckle. His belt buckle was huge. Uh, you know, and then he had he probably had four more guns on him and all this stuff. And I think now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm an anarchist. I don't ban anything. I don't want anything banned. OK, I'm just saying is that imagine the perspective of a new person coming into a place that they are being told is a peaceful evolution and you walk in there and holy shit, there's guns everywhere. The place looks like an Afghanistan base camp. And that was actually my first impression of it also because it was pretty hot. Uh, you know, so there was all these tents, you know, these camo tents. It looked very much, I thought it was back in, back in Afghanistan and like guys with AR 15s on their back and everything. Um, I mean, I, you know, I might be being slightly exaggerant as to how many people were wearing them. Okay. But that is there. And so, you know, that, that bothers me because I would like to think that, you know, you'd want new people to come to pork fest and you'd want them to feel welcome. And I know there's people who are saying, yeah, but look, nobody's shooting each other. They're being peaceful. Uh, isn't that like proving the point? It's like, well, yeah, but yeah right that's the that's like the bare minimum of of making the excuse for why there shouldn't be uh you, you know gun legislation or something and there shouldn't be please stop i i'm not wanting to legislate anything just because i don't dig guns okay but you have to you have to understand that like i know there's like gun rights activists who want to go into restaurants with wearing you know full long rifles and everything and they're like, well, if people don't don't like it, you know, then we got to get them used to it. It's like, no, you know, people are concerned because their kids are there and because, you know, they feel like their life is on the line. Because what's a gun? What does a gun say? Does a gun say anything other than the taking of a life? You tell me what else does it say? What else is it designed for? You're not going to take down fruit from a tree with a gun. Hey, look. Got an energy spike. Hold on. Launch. Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time is coming on! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Agent Sovereign, go to this webpage and follow. What kind of webpage is this? Is that Natalia? I better go to the website of the week. It is time for website of the week, where I cover websites that may be useful, sometimes terrible, often funny. Who knows what? <laughs> sometimes, of course, it blurs the line of is it a website or is it actually a soft piece of software, right? Because so many services are in the cloud. 
Um, this week, I actually kind of have a double header for you uh, because they're they're relative. They're directly relative. And I really, really love this. Um, the first website I'm going to tell you about is Udemy. And that's U-D-E-M-Y dot com. And it's essentially an online academy that offers a ton of courses, uh, you know, online courses for web development, uh, coding. I mean, just all kinds of all kinds of things <laughs> uh, that that are really, really just just fascinating. Uh, a lot of courses on photography, uh, courses on, you know, software development, uh, you know, math courses, science courses, all you know, just about anything you can imagine. Uh, I mean, they, the whole segments list here, crafts and hobbies, music, sports, uh, the humanities, languages, education, business. I mean, it's, it's got it all. Uh, this is really cool. And these courses are top notch. I've actually uh, ordered some of these courses and have checked them out. They are phenomenal. There's video. There's, you know, there's a uh, uh, text, the, the whole thing. You are going to, when you take a course from Udemy, you're going to walk away, you know, a, a significantly more knowledgeable person. Okay. And especially in what you're trying to do. So I, I love it. I think it's really cool. It's not free. You do have to pay for these. Okay. Add you to me, but I haven't really found, I mean, Khan Academy's good and like uh, open course, MIT open, open, open course, where is that what it is? Open course, where uh, those are great and they offer relatively similar. And if the, what you're trying to learn about is there, please go ahead and go there. Okay, but Udemy is really creating a, a, a nice niche in this online learning uh, business. And it's able to do it in a lot of ways because now a lot of companies like Google and others are saying, we don't care if you have a college degree or not. We just want to see how you think. We want to see if you have the knowledge and if you have, you know, the creative process. And this is where Udemy can come in. You know, there's even, oh, I mean, you know, there's entrepreneurial opportunities here that are mind boggling. Uh, they, they have courses on how to develop games for iOS and Android. Oh, that's huge here. You know, just to make apps, not even just games, but make apps you're guaranteed. I mean, if you have a great idea for a game, rock and roll, get it out there, sell it for a buck. You can, you can so easily make, I think hundreds of thousands of dollars doing that. If you make something that's actually, you know, worth it, or you can get ad funding through whatever, however it works out for you. It's a viable, viable entrepreneurial venture, in my opinion. But like so many things, what's the old rule of business? You got to have money to make money, right? Well, this is kind of the nice thing about the internet <laughs> uh, is that sometimes you don't have to have that much money. And so the second website I want to tell you about is stacksocial.com. Okay. Stack is S T A C K social.com. And what they are, they're kind of like a humble bundle. Okay. Which is a great way to get games. By the way, they take Bitcoin stack social doesn't, but humble bundle does. Um, stack social will bundle courses, uh, like oh, in a theme, actually, uh, like I, I grabbed a, a great code bundle that had a lot of uh, good HTML five stuff in it. And, you can purchase that sometimes. I think like the bundle I bought was maybe 15 bucks uh, and it was worth a thousand. You know, if I paid full price on Udemy for all those courses, it would have cost me a thousand dollars. Okay. So you can get this war, these world, you know, really this world-class education for practically nothing. 
Okay. You don't have to pay the full price that's on Udemy. So that's why I wanted to do the double header to let you know about Stack Social. And just like Humble Bundle, they have new bundles every week that you can check out. Uh, I learned about it actually through lifehacker.com. They will highlight often what the new bundles are if it's something that's really useful. So, but you can check out both sites. And I, I think this is great. People are taking control of their education. And we need, we talked about it earlier in the show. Remember, everything is broken. We need better coders. We need people with the knowledge. Not everybody has to know how all this shit works, but even a cursory knowledge that you could take the time to learn would be, you know, phenomenal. What there, there's a statistic out there that said, if you read an hour a day, that in seven years on whatever subject you read an hour a day about, you would have a literal like international world-class education on an hour a day. Develop your brain. It's, it's easily one of the best things you can do, you know, mind and body. Work on those and you'll find freedom all over the place. Okay, so check it out, udemy.com and stacksocial.com. Hey, everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer, but did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos Pretty much any audio project that you can think of, I'm probably willing to work on it, or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Who knew you could ride a bike so well? I don't know if I can get us away from that helicopter. Don't you have a gun? Oh, there's never a need for lethal force. I'll handle this. How did you do that? We'll be fine. A quick hack solves everything. Hack, sack. It is time for HackSec, which, of course, means that we talk about hackers and security. One or the other, maybe both. Take your pick. It is the section of the show exclusively detailed to that or, you know, set for that. But, of course, we can talk about it throughout the entire show if we wanted uh, with no problem whatsoever. So uh, this week is... This will... Does anything shock anybody anymore <laughs> as far as... You know, security leaks in, uh, you know, in, in software, in the software world, in the computer world. Uh, and, you know, in fact, real quick, before I start reading the story, we're going to talk about Black Shades. Um, that that article I read earlier, Everything is Broken. Why didn't that get written a long time ago? I, I'm a little <laughs> I mean, clearly it was tried uh, the, you know, Quinn, the Quinn Norton, the the author of the of the article of the blog, but I guess you could say, you know, she had posted that it was in, in 2012, you know, that look, everything's fucked. So people have known this for a while, uh, but I guess it's maybe it's just all coming to head or maybe people are just getting a better understanding. I mean, I think this is a really important reason to look at those courses. Like we talked about at udemy.com. So that way you can just have an understanding. You don't have to, nobody can know everything. Okay, of course, you know, especially in the computer world. I mean, you just you can't. It takes entire teams to develop the stuff that we use today. But it it helps <laughs> to know a little bit, you know, even even a little bit. Um, 
Okay, so here we go. This is from CNBC. Originally, it was from Yahoo, but the Yahoo story won't come up for some reason. Uh, and it's inside black shades. Hackers are watching you on infected webcams. Yahoo. Imagine this scenario. You're using a personal home computer. Then without your knowledge, a cyber spy starts com compromising your machine. The attacker infects the entire computer, including your webcam, and starts spying on you remotely. It sounds creepy and straight out of science fiction, but prosecutors and digital security experts say it's a real present threat. Earlier this week, federal prosecutors announced charges against creators and users of a disturbing software program called Black Shades. Its key feature is a kind of malware known as remote as a remote access tool or RAT for short. Using black shades, cyber criminals take over, or governments, they won't mention that, take over victims' uh, computers for spying and money-making purposes, experts say. Criminals also listen to, I, I guess I repeat myself, right, when you say criminals and governments? Uh, criminals also listen to victims through infected computer microphones, monitor users' keystrokes, and virtually rifle through personal documents and pictures. For just $40, the Black Shades rat enabled anyone anywhere in the world to instantly become a dangerous cyber criminal able to steal your property and invade your privacy, said Preet Brahara, uh, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He made the comments at a press conference Monday. Despite the recent crackdown on Black Shades, cyber experts say rat isn't disappearing overnight. Consumers need to protect themselves against more effective, cheaper malware, which makes them alluring for cyber thieves with few tech skills and little money. All right, real quick, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Hurricane Preet uh, Bahara. I'd love it if a reporter or someone who is doing research on the story would walk up to one to one of these and, and, you know, U.S. attorney is effectively a politician. Okay. Maybe not dictionary definition wise, but effectively a politician. But I mean, I'm sure some Senator would have said the same thing. You know, they would have gone to them and go up to one of them and just say, well, could you explain to me how exactly black shades works? No, you don't have to tell me how the Linux kernel works. I just want you to tell me how black shades works and then just watch their tongue roll out of their mouth and their jaw drop because, and just maybe flap a little because they have no fucking clue. They don't know. And they're legislating on this shit, and they have no idea how any of it works. Do you ever think about that? You, you, you vote, not you. I mean, most of my audience are anarchists, but, you know, the everyday person votes for these people to be in there to protect them, to give them security, which is the <laughs> don't I'm not even going to get started there. Um, and what do you expect? You know, today, more than ever, maybe you should be, you know, maybe some of the politicians you should be voting for, if you want that system, should be, you know, Richard Stallman. Someone that actually has an understanding of how this stuff works, you know, instead of somebody who's just like, oh, this is terrible. We, we must react. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'll move on here. Uh, according to Bahara, Black Shades was sold in more than 100 countries and infected more than 500,000 computers worldwide. Perhaps most disturbing and taking the meaning of spyware to a new and more personal level, Black Shades even gave users the ability to activate a computer's camera to spy on a person, said Bahara. One Black Shades victim who initially came to light last year was Miss Teen USA Cassidy Wolf, 
according to prosecutors. Her attacker allegedly infected her computer with black shades to to capture Wolf in her most personal moments, according to law enforcement. Uh, Oh, boy, what were those personal moments? Uh, (laughs) uh, But versions of black shades like malware only are uh, proliferating despite crackdowns. Crapdowns. Yeah, they might as well be crapdowns. Uh, <laughs> there are already multiple versions of the malware, uh, very similar to Black Shades. Other developers will fill the hole. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, Kajawa of Malware Bytes has Malware Bytes, by the way, if you use a Windows machine, is a really, really great uh, malware uh, detection software and cleanup has extensively analyzed black shades and says the, the malware primarily is used by young hackers who lack advanced technical skills. But that's not to say big players don't turn to black shades. The Syrian government used black shades to spy on political dissidents, according to both Kajawa and Martin, a charge that government has denied. And businesses, presumably with firewalls for data protection, are not immune to this new generation of malware. We've seen an uptick in these remote access tools for rats being used to target business, including Fortune 100 companies, Martin said. And the attackers are nation states. Uh, We'll move on a little bit. Let's see. They give some solutions perhaps here. Okay. Again, you don't have to be a corporation to fall prey to a Black Shades attack. Here are some signs you may be infected with Black Shades or a similar kind of malware, according to the FBI. Your mouse cursor moves without your use. The webcam light goes on while it is not in use. The FBI can actually activate it without the webcam light turning on. Uh, Your monitor suddenly turns off while you are using the computer. Your username and passwords for online accounts are compromised or chat windows uh, unexpectedly appear on your screen. How to protect yourself? Well, to prevent such malware from being installed in your computer, experts say to avoid clicking on emails with unknown links or attachments. Also, take time to install operating system updates and antivirus and anti-malware software. Kujawa said that most antivirus and anti-malware will detect uh, black shades. And to stop cyber criminals for seeing, for seeing your personal moments, experts suggest turning your computer off when not in use and put black tape over your webcam. Okay. Not, not terrible suggestions, quite frankly, uh, not, not bad at all. Um, of course, turning your computer off, I think eventually it's going to get to the point where that's not really possible to even do, uh, you know, everything just goes into sleep mode and that allows for this sort of thing. Also, you have the problem of where a lot of Intel processors and AMD processors, processors just started doing it too, where they can do wake on LAN. Uh, you know, or wake on Wi-Fi where these the, the systems can just be told to wake up even if they're plugged in. Um, you know, don't don't get don't let that one sink in too much because, you know, you'll end up just taught you'll you'll go run into the woods. Um, the the part that they're missing here, the real way to protect yourself from all of this is the they're missing the, you know, the elephant in the room. And that's organizations, governments, you know, and organizations within them like the NSA. Heartbleed, some people theorize, the NSA knew about Heartbleed for two years, and they didn't say anything. A lot of these governments, a lot of these organizations, yes, there's bad actors, you know, crackers, not hackers, crackers out there that are, you know, that do make, that take advantage of zero-day things or that take advantage of malware, etc., okay? But governments, they keep this stuff 
for their own purposes. They don't tell anybody for their own purposes. Okay. And this is, this is a serious problem. The, you know, the surveillance state allows for all of these insecurities in these systems. Yes, we need to code better. There's no question about that. Okay. But really it's true that all these back doors and all this stuff are creating the security issues that are not just getting exploited. Even if you supported what the NSA and the FBI and the CIA does, you are actually working antithetically to the idea of security by having back doors built in by not revealing zero days, by not working with these companies, you are actually supporting people, bad actors that can get into your computer that can get into your software and get into your digital life. You have to lock all this stuff down. Anonymity is security for everyone. That's the part that people miss. Yes, fine. It would secure the quote unquote terrorists too, but it also closes off 90% of their abilities to get the info that they need to do their quote unquote terror. If it's even true, you know, if their terror is even real. This is what everybody misses. It's these wide openings that allow for that. The NSA wants that they put in. Look what might've happened with true crypt. The, the, <laughs> these are the things that create the insecurity. The, the conversation being had in the mainstream media is disgusting because it's totally missing the point. No one's out there saying, Hey, you know what? This whole surveillance state system, it's keeping an eye on everybody, but it's actually allowing everybody to keep an eye on everybody, including people with malicious intent. Yeah, everything's broken. I don't think that's unfair to say. And this is the kind of crap that happens because of it. We can change it. We can demand better. And that's really it. You know, get away from Windows. Go ahead and, and use, use systems like Linux that are designed for security, etc. Demand better. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Hey, everybody. I really appreciate all of you that listen to Sovereign Tech. I hope you have as much fun listening to the show as I do making it. And hey, if you have a good time listening or learn something from listening, you can donate to the show. Just look in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. There you'll see uh, addresses for Bitcoin, Blackcoin, Next, Litecoin, whole slew of ways to donate to the show. And believe me, I'm not going to complain if you only send two millibits or what equates to two dollars unlike some people but you know also you can donate via paypal using the affiliate links on the left hand side of sovereigntech.com and oh yes please feel free to use those affiliate links you can also help the show by circling me on google plus following me on twitter or following sovereign tech on soundcloud anything you can do to help believe me it helps so i love all of you and thank you so much for listening now let's get back to more sovereign tech Well, looks like we made it out of the country. Good driving. Let's find some place to relax. Somewhere with a nice big bed, I think. Let me pull up an app. Sounds good to me. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week. And boy, after this show, I think I need to go visit that bed with someone special. But, uh... <laughs> um, 
software of the week, you know, is where I talk about uh, an app, a piece of software, whatever that, uh, that I find particularly useful. Sometimes it's something that's really terrible. Uh, I was tempted to do TrueCrypt as software of the week just to say, look, we need to get away from it now. Um, but, you know, I, I just did it earlier in the show, and so there's, there's no need for that. I do want to actually mention something, and the links are in the show notes for both of the pieces of software I'm going to talk about, both apps I'm going to talk about. Uh, a listener actually emailed me. I recommended Sigic as a map alternative to Google Maps because it works so well offline, though even though we talked about earlier in the show that apparently Google Maps is doing a better job of trying to be offline, still doesn't compare to the world-class service that is Sigic, in my opinion. Um, but if you do want to use a bit of both, perhaps, uh, this listener actually recommended it's an app called Maps to Sigic. And so this allows for Google Maps and Sigic to actually interact with each other. Really handy. I love it. And please feel free to do this. If you want me to talk about a piece of software, if you find something great that maybe I didn't know about, uh, please send it to me. You know, go ahead and send me an email. I really appreciate that. Uh, it means a lot. So anyway, that maps to Sigic, you can check that out. Uh, but I guess while we're on the, on the, the talk of, of, you know, maps that maybe cause Sigic's great for traveling the world because you can literally download onto say a tablet or if your phone has enough storage, uh, you know, literally the entire map of the world with turn by turn directions, which is, you know, phenomenal. Um, the, here's something you might want, you know, to complement that ability. And that is word lens. Now word lens used to be a pay for product. And it actually just got bought out by Google. Um, will the same thing happen to Sigic? Maybe. Because these companies don't innovate anymore. They just buy out. You know, they, they just acquire other companies that did the actual innovation. Um, and so WordLens is totally free now, though. Ever since Google bought it out, I don't know that it's going to get updated. It may get integrated with Google Translate, which Google Translate works really well. Again, we're not talking about any security issues here. I'm, I'm just, I'm sure someone out there is saying it's like, but with word lens, you're taking a picture of a sign and then you're translating it. And that's letting the NSA know where you are. And all. of course it is, but, <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something, you know, that we, that we can use right now. And word lens, uh, you know, allows for that. And it does exactly what I just said, where you can essentially look at some things that has a hard time with, uh, you know, like if it's if it's uh, more of a written in, like, say, a cursive or more of a script f format, it doesn't read it that well, but it does a pretty good job. I've, I've you know, used it on occasion in the past uh, and, and it handles it and it can do English to Russian, English to Spanish. It can do French, it can do Italian, it can do German, it can do Portuguese. And it's all free now. You used to have to pay for those language packs, but uh, you can get it completely free. And so you could see, like, you know. Is there a, a sign that says, uh, you know, no smoking or something like that? Now, of course, most people make signs idiot proof now to where they put a picture of what they're talking about on it. Uh, but in case they don't, you know, you can hold up word lens to it and see what it says. Or if you're trying to find a, you know, a restaurant of a certain name or whatever. I mean, it's just it's it's a useful thing. So check out word lens. I really like it. Google goggles, I think, kind of tried to do the same thing. It never got to the great point that that word lens did. And I think word lens worked really well offline as well. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't require a network, which that's great. I'm all for that uh, because if the device requires me to have a data connection, especially if I'm traveling the world, you know, 
Don't dare count on a data connection if you're doing some serious traveling of the world when these things would be needed. So having stuff like Sigic and now WordLens really makes for a great package that allows you to traverse the world without knowing other languages. Now, I'm sure Google Glass is going to, you know, or, you know, actually Satya Nadella, uh, they talked about how Skype at, at the code conference just this past week, they were talking about how that, how Microsoft is making so that Skype can in real time translate a conversation that you're having with somebody halfway across the world. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. It's kind of like the babblefish in, uh, in, you know, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Of course, the word babble, most people can, you know, make, consider synonymous with evil and uh, take that for what you will. But, <laughs> but Google's certainly trying to do the same thing. That's why they had, actually, they called it last year before they came out with a new version of Hangouts and they got rid of Gtalk and all that. They called it Babbel. Um, and, or, you know, maybe, maybe which Babbel just is spelled the same way as Babel, which is the Tower of Babel. That's why I say that Babel to a lot of people is an evil thing. I don't think it is, but hey, whatever. <laughs> So do check out WordLens. I don't know if it's going to get integrated or not, but Google, although according to Mike Elgin, this is not true. Google is working on offline connectivity for things, uh, but WordLens really offers just a great offline ability to do this translation. And so I see that as pretty, pretty quintessential to have. Uh, so I recommend picking it up. And again, it's, it's totally free. And don't forget about Maps to Sigic if you want to do that. Uh, you know, if you want to integrate maybe between like Google Now and Sigic, really handy. I'll be back with more. It's Brian Sovereign. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Oh, Oh, Natalia. Oh, Oh, it feels so good. I'm so close. I know what you need. The Climax. It is time for the climax in all its glory. <laughs> the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the producer of the show, she is, uh, she is laughing. <laughs> she, she had yet to hear all of these like come together. Um, she did great phenomenal voice work on them and, uh, and had great input. And, and she's, she's just here laughing at the, at the, the quality of the, uh, or at the, you know, the new intros. Anyway, um the the climax is where you know it's 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 essentially pick of the week i just renamed it for fun and it is where i talk about whatever the hell i want to talk about and you know it could be a topic it could be it could be a book it could be a movie you know it could be a tv show not that i expect it to be either of those unless it's like something from way back uh i'm not not finding a whole lot of whole lot of fun to talk about in, in modern modern entertainment, um, but th- this week it's a topic, and the topic is actually uh, polyamory. And I mentioned on Twitter on uh, I think on Sunday on Twitter I said next week I'm going to talk about polyamory. 
because I'm really feeling very polyamory is kind of a it's it's kind of a big deal in you know in the liberty movement okay in in anarchist circles and liberty circles you take your pick on whatever term you want to use you know what I mean there's a lot of free thought a lot of free thinking that goes on you know cha- questioning the institutions that exist today. Uh, of course, some groups don't question the institutions we have at all, other than, yeah, we don't like government, but, uh, you know, we still love the nuclear family. Um, and and polyamory is one of those things that a lot of people, you know, want to take on and like, oh, this is great. I can have relationships with multiple men, multiple women, a combination, you know, of, of all of that. And And polyamory is essentially that. It's polyamory, multiple love. It's not polygamy. Okay, that that's that's a totally different thing. Polyamory generally exists outside of marriage, but it's a catch all term. It's a big tent term that could be used for, you know, just just meaning that you have relationships with more than one person. Now, the instantaneous arguments, of course, that always come out against polyamory in the idea that you have, you know, say you have two girlfriends or you have two boyfriends or you have a boyfriend and a girlfriend. The, the instantaneous thing that comes out about that is that, oh, well, you're not really committed to anybody. You're only spending like 60% of the time with one person and 6%, you know, 40% with the other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that That's, of course, that's bullshit because I don't think anyone would ever say that their love for their child, whether adopted or biological, that there is a greater love on planet Earth. There isn't. You know, the a person's love for their child, you know, admittedly is is the greatest that's out there. But somehow the greatest possible amount of love that you can have can actually be applied to multiple people. That is, you have more than one child. Now, people say, well, that's different. Well, no, 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 no. Let's break it down. Is it more love or less love than you feel for your partner? You know, for your for your you know girlfriend or boyfriend. And I think most people would say it's more. Yeah, but it's not like my dick's getting, you know, or it's not like a, it's not like another dick's getting put in me or something like that. What is that? What do you, so what? Oh, oh, I see. This is all about PIV and all that because love is all about that, right? Gotcha. Understood. No, it, it's just, look, you know, I, I like to be a nice guy in general, but really like the, 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 the opponents to polyamory. I mean, it's just there's no argument that holds up. It's stupid. It, it, it's they, they they're just bringing up that they may as well be Christians. OK, or they may as well be some kind of fundamentalist in some religion, whatever that may be. Stop. Now, flip side of that is there is this somehow making because their arguments are invalid. Is that somehow making monogamy invalid? No, you can choose to be monogamous and that's fine. You can choose. That's the whole point is you can take your pick. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. Okay. Have the relationship as long as it's voluntary. Of course, have the relationship that you wish. Okay. So I'm not knocking monogamy at all. Feel free. If you have a great monogamous relationship and I know people that do, I am so happy for your happiness. I really am. It's important to me. Okay, that's love is when, you know, when, you you know, that's empathy when you, you know, you you feel for the other person and and you really you you experience joy in their joy and pain in their pain. And so I don't want to feel your pain. I want to feel your joy. So I am glad. Okay, Got that. I'm not knocking monogamy. 
So, but ironically, I am going to knock most of the people I've experienced in my life that practice polyamory. Um, I have been, I've had, you know, multiple relationships at the same time uh, since I was very young. Um, I, I've known, I like to say I've known since I was 15, I was like, you know, this doesn't make sense that I can only love one person that just doesn't gel. Uh, you know, I mean, and most people are serial monogamous anyway, right? You know, oh yeah, my heart belongs to you until we get divorced. And then my heart belongs to somebody else. It's like, wait a minute. I thought you can only love one person that way. (laughs) So, you know, since I was about 15, I think I realized that since I was like 17, 18, around that, you know, that area, late teens, that area, um, you know, I, I was in love with, uh, with a woman who was my age and then a woman who was in her thirties at the same time. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> love is not a, love is not a bathtub. It's an ocean, right? That that's, that's the great saying. So the interesting thing with a lot of this though, is that a lot of people are practicing this and, and there's, there's kind of the joke that goes around that says, look, it's polyamory, not polyfuckery. Okay. And what that statement means is that a lot of people practice polyamory just as an excuse to go around and fuck a bunch of other people. It's not actually relationships. It's not actually like, you know, it's not an expression of, of love per se, you know, romantic love or relationship love or whatever. But here, here's, here's the problem that I'm, that I'm seeing now. Women seem for whatever reason to be far more equipped or to be more easily equipped to handle these sorts of things where they can handle loving, you know, other women, more people, uh, pretty readily. It's not always true, but that seems to be far more possible. The real problem seems to be with men where men can't seem to handle that, say their girlfriend. And I'm only talking about this type of relationship, right? The second, you know, I know there's, you know, men and men, you know, boyfriends having boyfriends or, you know, guys having boyfriends, et cetera. I'm not talking about that necessarily, though. Maybe that falls in the same purview. I just don't have any experience with that myself. Okay. Let's say your girlfriend gets with another guy. Okay. You're a guy. You have a girlfriend. She gets with another guy. You want to explore polyamory. What happens when that guy comes around? I bet you feel sick to your stomach. Like something's like not right when you know that this other guy is putting a dick inside of your girlfriend as if somehow you own her vagina. Now, please not insulting you. I'm just saying that this is probably what most people feel. I don't feel that. I like to think I don't have any, you know, quote unquote, jealous bone, but I'm in my body. Okay. But a lot of the guys I encounter seem to do so. And this is a real problem, you know, relationships. And again, we're talking about real polyamory where not hookups. We're talking about real polyamory where another person loves another person and, you know, their boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever term you want to use partners, you pick it. And oftentimes it seems like the guys, one of two things will happen. Either one and and they're kind of related. One is they'll pretend they won't say anything that, you know, that, They'll pretend that you don't exist, essentially. And they ignore, you know, you as the guy with the girlfriend. They ignore you and there's no communication there. Now, again, not everybody has to be chummy chummy, but there should be some kind of line of communication if you are all in some kind of relationship. You don't have to be in a relationship with the other guy. By no means. But there should be some form of communication. Okay, 
just because again, like I said, love empathy, that's all about, you know, taking, having happiness and the happiness that your partner, that someone else experiences like your girlfriend. And so she's happy with this guy. Then, you know, knowing more about that, I mean, should make you happier. And so I, I feel like there's this overall, most guys just, they can't handle other dicks being in the room. That's, that's the way I see it. That's, that's how I see things. And a lot of couples, a lot, a lot of couples will even, they'll do this, uh, where they pretty much, they, they do a, um, don't ask, don't tell policy. Well, I won't, you know, go ahead, you do whatever you want. Just don't tell me about it. I can't handle hearing it. Or you go ahead and do whatever you want. Just don't tell me I can't handle hearing it. And if that doesn't raise a huge red flag on the, perhaps the emotional maturity of a person, it's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I just, I can't deal with the idea of another dick being in you, or I can't deal of you putting it in another pussy. Am I the only one that sees a problem with that? But that seems to be how a lot of this goes or again, or then it's just the simple fact of like that there is, there's, there's no communication between the other partners in the spectrum of polyamory. And, and that, you know, that, I mean, it takes all different types, right? But like, if people can't just even be like semi cordial with each other or something, it just, it gets very, very strange. And so I can't help but feel I've very rarely seen the group, especially in Liberty circles, anarchist circles, that is actually pulling off polyamory in what I see as a very healthy way. You don't have to please me as far as, you know, my judgment on things, please. Okay. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying as far as, you know, overall, I'm just, I'm, I'm not seeing it. And I don't get it because people will all read the same books. They'll all read the ethical slut. They'll all read all these great polyamorous uh, books. And somehow they, they miss those chapters. They talk about that. Hey, you know, no, you got to communicate. You got to know what's going on. Um, there was an article in, I, I think it was in uh, vice this week that was talking about how millennials are, are doing open relationships a lot. And one of the guys in it, and this guy was only like 19 or 20. He came right out and said, yeah, he's like, if I have a, a you know, a woman over, she gets to meet my girlfriend and everybody gets to hang out. I like everybody to be friends. That's perfect. Someone's got it. Someone's got it right. But of course, that person's not in liberty circles. And I guess I kind of, you know, part of me wonders, is that because uh, libertarians have this, you know, hard on for the idea of ownership of property? Ooh, <laughs> Half joking there. But it's disconcerting because, you know, we're really, you know, uh, Jeffrey Tucker wrote a great, um, a great guide. In fact, I might do something kind of similar. I, I loved what he did. It was called Preparing for a World Without the State. Well, in preparing in a, for a world where there isn't the monopoly use of force, AKA governments. I think we need to get a pretty good understanding of empathy and love. We got to get out of this. Oh, that's my woman. That's my man. You know, all this stuff. Uh, I mean, it can be fun to say, but we got to get out of the mentality that that's like really. So people can do whatever they wish to leave them be. Okay. We've, we've got to get to that stage. And I, I think, you know, if you want to choose monogamy, that's fine. But polyamory might be key to going that way. Maybe that's what we were designed to do, according to Sex at Dawn. Your thoughts. You can email me, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. Carpe Lucem. I'll see you on the other side. 
just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution.